G'day sports fans. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports by Fry podcast. I'm back. Hopefully you're listening to this gearing up for a fantastic weekend. Happy Friday. We've hit Friday, Arvo. So I thought I would do another quick, fast 15 and recap, comprehensive recap of the AFL trade period. I've talked about it at length on the last couple of podcasts, including with JLo, but there's a couple of other things I want to dive into as I kind of have a bit of a look and a bit of a projection ahead to the off-season and the summer and the 2023 campaign for all 18 AFL clubs. Before we do the AFL trade period recap, I did drop a piece today that ranked every player, all 36 of them who moved in the 2022 AFL trade period based on their fantasy relevance rolling into next year. Uh, Spoiler alert, there's probably only eight to 11 names that are really fantasy relevant. Uh, I know that Horn Francis and Jacob Hopper are just on the other side of that uh, benchmark or that threshold. But, you know, there's a couple who I'll talk about soon. The others, take it or leave it. Like, I don't think Jagger Amir are going to Fremantle is going to drastically revive his fantasy career. There's still a couple of dudes who'll be draft relevant, like him, uh, Carl Amon as well, Brody Grundy, even though he joins forces with Max Gorn. I still think that he's going to dominate from a fantasy perspective at times, obviously, especially if Gorn is out. But I want to solely focus on a couple of different characters. Darcy Tucker, who I ranked at sixth, if he can permanently find a role in that North Melbourne side, I think that there's some meat on the bone in the terms of fantasy value. Now, He's had some solid seasons with the Dockers before. He's going to be priced at around 52, which gauging off the uh, 2023 projections is around the low $400,000 mark. So he might actually be someone that we start with in a D, call it five, D4 spot, depending on the amount of rookie defenders that are around. And he could be a very handy stepping stone that helps you get up to another premium defender. If he doesn't have defensive status, I don't think I'll be as high on the character, but like I said, there's definitely some upside there. Uh, Jack Bowes and Tanner Bruin going to Geelong. They're both somewhat fantasy relevant because if one of them can entrench themselves in that best 22, then they should have a bit of upside, but I don't really love their fantasy chops. So I'm kind of tentatively ignoring both of them for now, watching in the preseason, I guess. Uh, Josh Dunkley going to Brisbane. I wouldn't be shocked if this bloke emerges as a top 10 scorer next year. He can't have been too far off. And in fact, I don't think he was. I think, you know, he averaged 108 for the year last year. Not going to have forward status though. So I don't think he'll be as popular in your standard classic leagues, but very potentially a first round draft pick when it comes to draft leagues. Lloyd Meek is number three ranked on this article. And he's someone that I want to talk about who could emerge as an R2 candidate. Now he'll have to battle the likes of Ned Reeves and Max Lynch, and if they've got Meek with one of those other two blokes next to him, then Meek's fantasy ceiling is going to be impacted. And to be honest, even when Sean Darcy did go out, there was a couple of times where Meek looked fine. He was running amok, but he didn't score great. Like he only averaged 60s or thereabouts. So he tore it up in the waffle this year. He had nine of his 15 scores being 110 plus. Average 104, if you don't mind. So maybe he, as he's kind of hitting his mid-20s, is turning a leaf and going to become fantasy relevant. The second ranked player in this article that I had was Tim Taranto. If he's got forward status, I don't think you need to get too fancy. I think you need to lock him into your F1 or your F2 slot. 
He's only going to be priced at a measly 95. He's averaged 107 and 112 in the past. So if I was you, I would uh, not look too far and consider having Timmy Taranto in your starting side. And the same can be said for Tommy Mitchell. He's priced at 96. It's the first time that he's averaged under 100 since 2014. So I expect him to be at his ball-winning best at the Pies. He might not go 115, but he could post an average you know, that improves his fantasy scoring, call it 10 points, maybe closer to 15, and he averages in the high hundreds, uh, just under that 110 mark. But definitely a little bit of value there for your starting side. So put him in your M1 or your M2 slot and, uh, yeah, reap the rewards of Tommy Mitchell changing clubs. All righty, club-by-club review of the AFL trade period. Now, I'm not going to go comprehensive deep dive into every club. I'm only going to try and keep it to 30 seconds or a minute and fire through all 18 very quickly. But there were some very interesting moves that I think will help us see a bit of a, don't want to call it a power shift, but I think you're really going to see the top tier and the bottom tier and quite a bit of daylight in the middle. In years past, JLo and I've talked about on numerous pods about how much parity there is in the league and how close a lot of teams are and, you know, There's no true contenders or there's lots of contenders. But I think after this trade period, we're going to start to see that gap widen a little bit. Adelaide first cabs off the rank. They obviously got in Isaac Rankin. That was their big trade. They managed to ditch pick five to get him. Got a couple of futures in as well from Collingwood and Frio. Gave up a couple of futures and lost Billy Frampton. But I still expect them to hover around a similar mark as last year. They may improved slightly and the rebuild seems like they've got the pieces and they're on the right track. I'm surprised that Matty Crouch honestly didn't find a new home in the trade period, but I expect them to, you know, challenge for one of the last spots in the bottom four or hover around that 12 to 15 mark. Uh, Brisbane, big winners of the trade period in my eyes to bring in Dunkley, Gunston, a couple of futures, and then obviously have the draft picks to match for Ashcroft and Jasper Fletcher. That's enormous. They lost Dan McStay. Not a huge loss. He is versatile, but Jack Gunston will help cover that. Tom Berry, whatever. Future picks, I get it. They've lost a couple of them. But as I said, they've got Geelong and a couple of doggies picks in the future. And they do manage, or did manage to sacrifice a top 15 pick, but turned it into some pretty handy pieces. So big winners in my eyes. Looking at the Blues, they did do a shitload. They lost Setterfield. They lost Jones. But does that really even count as a loss? The bloke was retired before the season ended, uh, season started rather. So I think Blake Acres in is a big in and he'll be very handy if they have their midfield at full strength. It might force Sam Walsh to play a bit more of an inside role, but you got Cripper, Walshy, Adam Chera, Acres on the outside, Matt Kennedy chopping in and out as well. And there's probably some names I'm forgetting, but that's a solid formidable unit that Carlton's building. And I think they've definitely got the talents to go one better than last year, make a little bit of noise potentially in the finals if they crack through as well. Got the forward line. And like I said, Acres now complements their midfield as well. Uh, Turning your attention to Collingwood, in my eyes, another huge, huge win for the Pies. Last year, and well, last year? The year before when they got rid of Adam Trelaw and Jaden Stevenson, we were talking about how shit had hit the fan and the culture was whack and they were, you know, having a bit of a fire sale. And if I had have told you at that time that a couple of years from now, they're also going to get rid of Brody Grundy, you probably would have thought of a bit crazy, but Darcy Cameron, full credit to him. He showed that he can be a lead ruckman. And I know Mason Cox is somewhat of a laughing stock, but that bloke can actually football. He is pretty decent. So, and he proved that at times throughout the year, triggering another year on his contract to stay around. They lost Ollie Henry. 
no huge loss there because the bloke was in and out and being used as a sub more than a regular member of the 22. And the ins are pretty massive. I think they're all best 22 ins as well. Tom Mitchell, gun. As I've said earlier, fantasy value. Bobby Hill, another potent forward threat. They got him and Jack Ginevan running around in the pockets. That is a dangerous duo. McStay, he'll complement the likes of Brody Meyercheck and the others tend to play, lack of a better term, key position up forward. Billy Frampton, very handy to swing at either end of the ground. And they also managed to bring in pick 25 as well to kind of vault themselves up the order a little bit. So huge win in the offseason for the Pies. The Dons didn't do a ton. Will Setterfield in, I actually really like. I think that while he probably won't be a huge fantasy factor, he may complement some of the other pieces that the Essendon Football Club have. Sam Wiedemann, another good in as well. Got him on the cheap. And the only out that they had was uh, good old Aaron Francis. Couple of pick swaps here and there. A future in comes in from Sydney. A future four goes out for them. And like I said, a couple of other really late round draft picks coming back their way. So a bit of a net nothing, if you ask me, for the Dons. Fremantle Dockers, they had a very, very, very active trade period. They lost Griffin Logue. They lost Rory Lobb. They lost Darcy Tucker. They lost Blake Akers. Traded out Lloyd Meek. Traded out pick 13 this year. And then sacrificed their future first, second, third, and fourth rounder. So massive list of outs for the Dockers. But I think the ins do soften the blow a bit. I don't think that they could be classified as winners, but I also wouldn't put them in the losers category. I think getting Amira in late in the piece was really a huge coup for the Dockers, and he should be a nice piece in that midfield rotation with Sarong and Brayshaw, hopefully a healthy Fifey and Will Brody. Luke Jackson, I know that they paid the farm to try and get him in, but hopefully he can live up to the hype and his rare talents will uh, be utilized well by the Dockers. Josh Corbett, not a scrub. I think he'll probably kick more goals for Peel Thunder than he does for Frio, but they got a couple of futures from North and they were able to get pick 30 and 44 as well in a couple of negotiations with Jackson and Lobb. So yeah, I wouldn't put them as winners, but like I said, I don't think if you had have told me at the start of the trade period, that was how things were going to unfold. We were going to lose all five dudes plus our first this year, plus a lot of future picks, but still have Jackson, O'Meara, couple of picks this year and then a couple of Norse future picks, I would have taken it, to be honest. Geelong, massive, massive winners this trade period. Bose, Bruin and Henry in, three great young talents. Who knows how they'll eventuate in the terms of actual footy careers, but getting in pick seven as well in that Jack Bose trade makes them huge, huge winners in a lot of people's eyes. They lost Cooper Stevens in part of the negotiations, as well as a lot of their future draft picks and their first, second and third rounders this year, but I think it was worth it. They've got the list now. They obviously had a little bit of salary cap space to squeeze these other guys and these young talents in. So great trade period for Geelong in my eyes. Opposite can be said for the Gold Coast Suns. They lost Bose. They lost Rankin. They obviously gave up pick seven. A couple of other picks went out. They bring in a future second for GWS, a couple of future thirds and a couple of future fourths, plus Tom Berry, Ben Long and pick five. So yeah, not ideal for the Suns. I think that they took a step backwards this trade period. I think that there's still going to be some growth from all their young players. And obviously they get being banking back after missing the entire season, but yeah, Wolf, not great for uh Gold Coast Suns fans. Similar for GWS. I really didn't love the moves that they made. I mean, they got in high draft picks and a future first from Richmond. They managed to pounce on Toby Bedford and they are now the owners of pick number one, but they lost Taranto, Hopper, Hill, Bruin and a future second. So I don't think that there was a great, negotiation from GWS. I mean, this number one pick, it seems like they're going to pick Aaron Cadman, who I've talked about in this pod and 
really rate, but they could have done a bit better, I reckon. And if they had managed to keep hold of one of those Bruin, Taranto, Hopper trio, then I probably would have felt a bit better about what they did. Uh, the D's very active as well. They got rid of Jackson, Bedford, Jaden Hunt, Sam Wiedemann, and a couple of late draft picks from 30 or so onwards. Bring in Hunter. Be very interesting to see how he goes. Pick 13 from the Dockers as well. Gives them a couple of handy picks early on in the piece. Futures from Frio and obviously Brody Grundy and Josh Shackey. So do they get better? Probably, I think, looking at the ins and outs. And I guess we'll have to wait and see how the Grundy-Gorn combo works. But Shackey is a little bit of depth up forward and Lockie Hunter gives them another tool. So, yeah, I rate the D's period. Not too bad. Uh, Hawthorne, clearly they've got a couple of different agendas at work, but getting rid of Mitchell, O'Meara and Gunston, the ins that they got weren't fantastic. I know that there's a couple of futures in there and they got Meek and Stevens to stay young and Carl Amon signed in free agency, but I really think they could have done better and they could have vied for winners, honours, if they had got some decent draft picks or rewards for the blokes that they got rid of. But like I said, they've got an agenda. They want to fast forward the rebuild. So it is what it is. The ruse, where do I start with North Melbourne? I mean, Horn Francis and pick number one out the door are massive losses, but I really think Griffin Logue's going to be a good in for them. I have said numerous times, I think he has the talents to be a fringe all Australian squad member. And Darcy Tucker in, we'll have to wait and see how he eventuates. But they also got a future first from Port, pick two and pick three. So it's all right. Sky's not falling at North Melbourne. Clearly, they've been a bit of a basket case in recent years. But we'll have to wait and see how they utilize those draft picks. And then a couple of years from now, we'll really know uh, if this trade period worked or not. Speaking of Horn Francis out, he went to Port Adelaide. They brought in him, Willie Rioli, a couple of futures and pick 33. Lost their first three... uh, first three first round draft picks. Let me try and reword that. They lost their first three future draft picks next year. There you go. And Carl Amon. But I think they also got a little bit better. Horn Francis, we'll have to wait and see what he eventuates into. Losing Carl Amon isn't great, but, you know, not the end of the world. I don't think that they're going to be uh, screaming from the rooftops that they lost Carl Amon at Port Adelaide. I think they're a finals team next year, Port, if you ask me. Uh, the Tigers, Taranto and Hopper are in massive ins. They gave up three picks inside the top 30 in a future first. I think it's a worthwhile sacrifice for the blokes that they got in the door, and that should vault them right back into the category of contenders if they weren't already in that basket. Uh, turning your attention to St. Kilda, this will be brief. Cordy and 32 in, long and a future fourth out. Whatever. They don't think they got any better in the trade period. I've discussed at length how I thought that they were one of the big losers. Sydney, they didn't need to make a lot of moves. And Aaron Francis in gives them a little bit more defensive depth. And they shuffled a couple of picks around, but they made very little moves. Similar with the West Coast Eagles, they got Jaden Hunt in. I'll be intrigued to see if he actually fits into their best 22 or how they go about utilizing him. Out the door goes Willie Rioli, pick two and pick 40. But their draft hand definitely improved amongst these trades. They split two to try and get two first rounders. And they managed to do that with pick eight and pick 12. And they got some future picks from Port Adelaide in the first and second round, uh, second and third rather rounds next year. So watch this space to see how they're utilized. Last club, also one who was pretty active with the Western Bulldogs. They kind of just gave away Hunter and Shaki for not much, but that helped facilitate the trade with Josh Dunkley, another out. St. Cordy, as I talked about, is gone, but 
They brought in a couple of future picks. They got Brisbane's first and second next year. They got 21 in the door. They managed to get Rory Lobb, who was on their wish list, and Liam Jones back in strengthens their back line as well. So a lot of tall timber now in the Bulldog side. I'll be very intrigued to see how that's utilised. There won't be tons of footy talk on the Sportsby pod in the future. There'll be a couple of bits and pieces, and I've got some fantasy things I'm going to work on for the off-season, but basketball's nearly here, so that will dictate a lot of my attention and time. But thanks for tuning into this podcast. Appreciate it. Have a great weekend. I'll catch you next time.